If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm a very ill Bradley, hence the sexy voice at the moment. I'm fresh from spiking my drink the other day with something. I was fine then, I don't know what it was. It's Stu. How you doing, Stu? Not too bad. I mean, I'm never going to get any action if I don't spike people's drinks, so, you know, it's got to happen. You've got to spike it with something that's not just going to give someone a stinking cold and things like that. You want to do it with something that's going to knock them out. I make them forget. No, I did my best, but yeah, no. The wrong drugs were available at the time, what can I say? Yeah. Um, yeah, anyone listening, I I was fine this morning, uh, as of recording, and then as the day's gone further, I've just got more and more under the weather, and I've got no other free evenings to record, so we are doing it now. So I can't even think of a segue. Does that count as a segue if I can't think of a segue? Did I mentioned the segue? Yes. Okay, segue. <laughs> I'm going to go first to make things a bit easier for Stu this week. And I've been playing a really interesting game that I only went to put on for about five minutes to see what it was like and ended up almost playing through a first run of it in its entirety. And it's called Lacuna, a sci-fi noir adventure. Now, it's easy to get mixed up with a lot of these because I think there's been quite a few like detective noir style pixel games over the past few months that I've mentioned. Um, This is another one. I would say it takes place in a near futuristic world. You're this detective. There's been a murder because of course there has, Um, there's been a bombing and a couple of other bits go on and you are kind of charged with finding out about it. You, you play a character called um, Agent Neil Comrade, and he's a traditional film noir-style moody detective, I would say. And if it wasn't for a few ways it does things, it would be just another, as you are, really entertaining point-and-click noir adventure. But what Lacuna does so 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 well and different and it really like made me want to play more and more of it was it's a point and click adventure without the point and click okay so it's pretty much a traditional platformer movement in a way um so you can use your controller or your keyboard to move about and interact with things um and it's really good and it's just full of dialogue trees but you know how even in things like Mass Effect and the Fallout games, and I believe even Disco Elysium to a degree, um, you kind of, you get your, you meet someone, you have your conversation with them and you can like go, here's a list of five questions you could ask them and it keeps them all there. And you can ask the next question, go down that little tree, go back, ask the next question, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this doesn't have that. You have that, but you get basically, you ask your question, they go, oh, this is what I want to say. And then it goes, oh, you cannot have a list of stuff that you want to say, even though there's all the different options. So everything you decide to do has consequence. And it's completely story-driven. At no point does this game get you stuck um, with any puzzles or, or anything like that. And, yeah, everything's... One of the things I always have an issue with uh, point-and-click games is it's almost like it's like 
almost trying to be pixel perfect at times. And with this, it, it doesn't feel like that at all. You can kind of just amble about a little bit throughout the world and discover things, which is really, really good. But the playthrough I had felt so organic for what I, I, can, I assume is a small team behind it. Um, it's just so organic and realistic feeling, you know. It's it's really just blew me away more than what I was expecting. I mean, they sell themselves a bit on um, uh, the multiple endings and unique dialogue choices. But yeah, they, they absolutely nail it here. And it's just an absolutely outstanding experience from start to finish. The only thing I'm questioning now is, do I want to go back in and try for different endings? Or am I just happy with what happened to me? Because it's a really intriguing and interesting story that I kind of don't want to know all the ins and outs that I could get. Yeah, it's, it's a funny situation. that I've been there before myself where it's like, yeah, I've, I've done that. I feel really good about the game it's it's just consistently impressed me and it's it's lovely and it's left me with a good warm feeling and it's like ah, but there's more now do i go back and re-engage with it and risk kind of burning through the mystery and all that or do i stay away from it and just leave it as this tantalizing prospect sort of thing mm. so yeah uh, yeah I, I do like it if you can leave a game kind of with some unanswered question unanswered questions it does it, it leaves more with you rather than searching every little bit out of it yeah yeah i uh, get that yeah um, and i would say as well aesthetically there's i would say there's a hint of blade runner in there where it's it's futuristic enough in certain places but it's very grounded in reality and gritty at the same time uh, but that really stood out to me it just felt like, despite being sort of like a really pixel graphic base, it felt one of the most real worlds I've been in in this sort of game as well. So, cool. Hats off to, I've got my notes here, my developers. Digitals Interactive. Yeah, and this seems to be their first game as well. So, it's, uh, they've set themselves a high bar for me. That is very impressive for a first outing. Yeah, sounds really good. Yeah. Mm. Nice work. Well, I've been playing something that's close to your heart, so I don't know if you want to stay on and just listen to this and react briefly. <laughs> because, yeah, so I've been playing, literally just before the podcast, Tetris Effect Connected and in VR. Oh? <laughs> yeah, this is a new one on you. Yeah, never never heard of it. Cool. That dog has. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's pretty much... He, he's uh, he's uh, voicing my opinion of like, yes, yes, more, more Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like i'll open the window wide when i do the podcast what could go wrong and there's my answer so um yeah <laughs> it's just really really distracting but um yeah so i've played it before i've played it in psvr before this was in oculus um i literally just had the machine uh, the the device connected the vr headset and i started the game um as part of game pass and it said oh you've got a vr headset do you want to play and i was like yeah go for it and i basically went to myself right i hate playing online normally but i'm gonna give it a go so i'm gonna do it so i went in to try and play the cooperative game and there was nobody to join so i played a competitive match now i got beat which is no surprise but what was a surprise to me was that it started off at speed level seven, which I think the user can set. I think the other guy was setting it at that speed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So 
you know, I'm a I'm an average to mediocre player at best when it comes to Tetris. So starting at level seven is a little bit of a high bar for me. But I was, you know, it was all right. I, I, you know, kept up for a while, and then obviously the speed started climbing, and I was just totally out of it. And he was completely kicking my hiney. But it was a, you know, it's a pretty good experience, really, because a lot of the time I could just switch off from what he was doing and just, you know, just it wasn't the zone one where, you know, I don't know, I assume it has, yeah, the zone effects and garbage colour yeah. on your screen or whatever. But it was just literally who who does the most uh, lines, not in a cocaine kind of way. Oh, just high score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, I really enjoyed it. It's nice. It's nice doing that in, in VR. It, it feels very kind of close and personal in a way, in a strange way, that you're online and you're in the headset. But at the same time, it's a tough game and you get sweaty very, very fast. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you can get sweaty playing it without a headset on. So, exactly. yeah. Um, I, I've played Tetris Effect on the PS4 with the PSVR. Of course, it was the first game I tried in VR. Of course. Um, and it was an ama- amazing experience. Um, how much of an effect do you have? You played the uh, versus without the VR headset yet, or no, no, I haven't yet. I'd like to know if it was if it's um, any different an experience because that's the one thing I think might get me is that it's so personal that I'd struggle to deal with what the other person's doing, which isn't so bad in a high score game. But if you're playing the one where junk's being sent and everything as well, then. I think I'd get too focused on me and not enough on what the uh, my opposition is doing. Yeah, which isn't the fault of VR or the game itself, but I'm just wondering how much of a how much that changes up the experience. Because I know when I played it in VR, I was just so lost in that game that time just stood still. Yeah, yeah, no, it could be a big factor. So it presents it as if you're looking, you're staring at a wall, as if you're floating in space you know, about sort of 30 metres away from a huge wall with it being yeah. projected onto it. And I immediately noticed that you, I couldn't use my peripheral vision to see what block was coming next. Yeah. Like, I actually have to move my head and my eyes, which is a bit of a drawback. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's okay, sort of, in the discovery mode or whatever it's called. But, yeah, in a competitive environment if you're playing against somebody who isn't in vr then they've got uh no drawback on that so they've got an advantage so more the vr thing in competitive i reckon is probably a no-go unless it's segregated but i doubt it is <laughs> but it was yeah. still fun oh yeah if someone could make uh just a just a quick pop on vr headset just for tetris i'd, I'd be all over that um, because it's the most it's an amazing experience with uh connected yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure if it's available for the Quest, uh, but if it is and anyone's got a Quest, then buy it, basically. Or just buy it regardless. Or just buy it regardless, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the more the more we've got um, Tetris Effect getting sales, the more chance we've got of future titles for, for, for that sort of thing. You know, maybe a new Luminis, maybe a Droplets Effect, I don't know. They all sound good to me. Yeah though to me as well even though i'm not sounding as enthusiastic as usual <laughs> so the next game that i've been playing is one called hold down now 
this that's got to compete for one of the absolute worst titles of a game ever. I'm not sure where they thought they could insert that as a title and it be okay. Pun very definitely intended. But they certainly thought they could get away with it. It's a good job the game's good. It's also the first mobile game that I've played in, oh, I don't know how long. I can tell you what the last one was. It was Pac-Man 256, which is an absolute corker of an endless runner. And also free. So, yeah, Hold Down is basically an upside-down Arkanoid. The dog disagrees. But he's wrong, I can tell you. So it's an upside-down Arkanoid where you use your finger to drag a line, similar to uh, Puzzle Bobble, that'll show where your, the ball that you're sending is going to go. Uh, so, so far, so understandable. The way that it differentiates itself is you can, the more that you go on and the more points you accrue by completing some of the stages, the more balls you can buy. There's no real safe way of saying that without it sound, sounding very bad. Um, and also how many you have in your arsenal and how many... Uh, how quickly they run out. So it's a, a very strange kind of blend of all sorts of stuff in, in a way. So you've got like elements of Mr. Driller and in, in that you drill down and it moves to the next stage and you're deeper as opposed to it all being on one plane like an Arkanoid. Uh, it's got the Arkanoid thing of the balls have to hit some panels once, but most panels several times. And... It has a counter on them to show how many more have got to go. So the ideal is to fire it into a gap between a bunch of them and then let them ping around and knock down those numbers till the walls collapse. It's also got a pachinko feel. So when they're cascading downwards, they're taking funny routes that you may not expect. So imagine pachinko, but where all of the balls are rubber bouncy balls instead of ball bearings, and you're kind of on the right track. And it's got a little bit of a Tetrisy vibe because the blocks are arranged in slightly, you know, in geometric patterns that are deliberately designed to either interlock or not. So it's got a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff like that going on. But overall, it's just a, a fun puzzle game. And yeah, the more that you spend the time on it and the further you go, the more powerful you become and then you bounce them all around. Now, it's got four levels to it. And they're quite a challenge, even when you're fully powered up. And the reason being that the, the sort of tightness of the angles and being able to work out the angles and making sure that you're attacking the right block, <laughs> attack the block, that becomes more and more important as you go on. But it's doable. And so you do that, and then you unlock uh, an endless mode. Now, for me, that's where the game sort of falls off. So completing it to that point is about six hours, I would say. It's $3.99. That's what I paid for it. I had a load of credit, so it cost me like 50p. It's worth that money for that six hours. Whether that endless mode is any good, I don't know. And the problem with it is that every block in it takes lots to destroy. So instead of it being a case of 
you can get a little bit lucky with the bounce because it's a kind of a pool kind of snookery element as well that you can't predict all the bounces kind of like also like golf you know so you can't predict all of the flight nor all the bounces but you just get it into a general area and once it's in the general area you with your skill you have to hope that with the luck it'll bounce all off at the right angles and knock all these blocks down and with the endless mode the problem comes that it is so tough that you have to get the angle perfect if you don't get the angle perfect the blocks fill the screen and you're dead and that can happen within the first attack it's also you know you need to cause so much damage to the box on your very 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 first move that if you don't you've basically lost and you might as well restart so i would say it's pointless playing that i'd say if you fancy the sound of it have a look at it on youtube see what you think buy it because it's only cheap and get about five or six hours worth of puzzle fun out of it and then just bin off the the endless mode unless you're much better than me and or i'm complete toilet and i'm talking out of the wrong end so yeah have have a look see what you think So, moving on, I wanted to talk on a mental health level about when multiple things come at once in your life. How can you cope with them? It's really, really difficult. And spoilers, there's no right answer. Sorry. But recently in my life, I've had quite a lot happen. So there's been some work stuff that I can't talk about. There's been a lot of family stuff and... It's all been health-related. So two members of my close family, the only two members of my close family remaining, my my mum and my sister, are both unwell with various conditions and various degrees of severity, but both quite severe. And my extended family on my wife's side have been very ill, uh, very physically ill, and it's been very draining and it's been very upsetting. Put that on top of COVID-19 and all the other instability going on in the world. Plus all your regular everyday stuff that you have to deal with, you know, money and transport and doing the shopping and all that boring crap. It's just, it's been an awful lot. So it's how, how sometimes it just comes in, crashes in. And it all happens at once. And even as somebody who's kind of worked in the mental health space quite a lot and has a lot of great support from people, you know, it's been at the point where I've, I've just felt completely adrift and, and in, in a lot of psychological pain, a lot of proper distress. Thankfully, touching wood, I've not been depressed. So by that, I mean a sort of rule of thumb I have for depression is, and it's not perfect by any means but it it, it seems reasonably good for calibrating it with me and and the people close to me in my life who I know quite well is do I still enjoy the things I used to enjoy or has all the joy gone out of them and at the moment I still enjoy those things I still look forward to playing games reading books watching films doing photography you know going out on walks all that sort of good stuff so none of that has been spoiled and a great example is that me and my wife went to went through Snowdonia and went to the Dovey Osprey project. If you're interested in, in birds in any way, I highly recommend you Google that and have a look. 
And we went to Abadovi, which is very beautiful. And then we drove all the way back through Snowdonia National Park, which is one of the most gorgeous places in the world. And all of that was a total joy. And the next day, everything else came just crashing back in because we weren't doing something fun. So to a degree, you can, or at least I can, offset some of the awful stuff naturally by doing the things that you love, not to the exclusion or detriment of the important stuff in your life, but definitely as a sidebar and a way of just showing yourself that there's beautiful things out there and kind people and a whole natural world, in my case, that I enjoy that is totally separate from the world of, you know, being a human being and having the unfortunate knowledge of your own mortality in the back of your mind and the mortality of the people that you love. So yes, that's a good, a good rule. Again, rule of thumb for me is to just get out in that way, disappear off into a world of, of loveliness that is totally disconnected from the, the other one. And I, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I can do that. I, I have weekends. I, yeah, we, we have a car, that sort of stuff. And we've been in a situation where neither of those things is the case. And it, it does make getting away from it all much, much, much harder. So I totally, totally understand that. Uh, if you're the kind of person who, who draws into themselves and wants to draw into themselves away from horrible things, say by immersing yourself in a book or in a video game or in a, a board game or in a D&D session or anything that is sort of fantastical, but inward focused on your own imagination that's always a good thing to do as well to focus on that and not to feel guilty when you do it i think a lot of us naturally tend towards wanting to do productive things in our free time and feeling that it's you know a waste of time if you're not and uh, that's a really bad way of looking at it from my perspective you you should your fun the enjoyment that you have out of life is linked to play and whether that's playing out like a kid or whether it's playing games or whether it's playing, you know, a, a group activity with friends like sport, then yeah, do it. It's a, it's a fantastic way of, uh, for, the, for some people to, to express themselves and to have a, a, a more rich and varied life and free time, which is absolutely critical. So it's not, this isn't intended in any way as a lecture or this is how you do it. Because believe me, my time has been horrendous for the last week and I'll have made mistakes, reacted badly. I am no, by no means perfect and things will have got neglected. I try and always keep things balanced and juggled and looking after people. But for example, I know that I haven't looked after or checked in with my family anywhere near as, I'm, as much as I probably should and would probably like to under regular circumstances. And that's because... I have retreated in that way. You know, I have come away from it. I have gone, oh, well, I don't want to engage with anybody. It's not a personal thing. It's not because I dislike X person. It's because it's about me and it has to be about me withdrawing from people. And I don't do it very often and I never do it for very long. But I did do it. And again, you know, I could probably in times of better mental health and feeling psychologically at, at my strongest, I could probably prepare and have a plan 
for how often I communicate and stock phrases or something, you know, just some way of, of sticking stuff out there for my family that sounds like I'm engaged even when I, I'm finding it hard to be. So that's something I can work on and something I will work on. I always think, you know, everything, every setback is also an opportunity. It's a really cheesy phrase, but it's a phrase you can make work for yourself <laughs> if you frame it right for yourself. And for me, it's definitely like if I'm feeling good and in a good place, that's always a good time for me to reevaluate what I do when I'm in a bad place. Uh, again, I'm fortunate to not end up in that sort of space very often. And like I said, it was really the cascade of all this stuff happening at once that became overwhelming rather than any one individual thing. It's always, I find, easier in a way to deal with regular human stuff that can't be avoided. So personally, when people get sick, it's horrible and crushing and it makes me cry and it makes me afraid and it makes me afraid for them. But it's normal human and mammalian behavior it will happen there's no conscious evil there's no conscious nastiness it's just what happens it's hard but it's just unavoidable what i actually find harder are smaller things but that are done intentionally so arguments with friends who are being horrible to you arguments with people in your daily life or in work people that you don't know treating you badly either on the internet or at a shop or any other place you might interact now very little of what i just said actually happened in my life uh, but i need to remain, remain relatively vague about it but the important thing is and the point that i'm making is for me, when people are either consciously trying to upset you or are upsetting you through ignorance, even if the actual impact of that in terms of rational stuff and how you live your life isn't that big, the impact psychologically can be huge, If you care, particularly if you care about people's opinions. So yes, when it all happens at once, what do you do? Well, what I do is obviously partially retreat. I try and stay as out there as I can, but I recognise that I'm going to go in. I'm going to go inward. I'm going to go into myself slightly. I recognise that I may not want to talk and be, you know, less communicative than normal. Being a big talker, that's normally a really big red flag. So... You know, the fact that I, I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing right this moment, you know, talking so openly in a public forum about my emotions shows that if that disappears, people can tell pretty fast that there's something wrong. Also, I don't sulk. I'm a blurter. So if I'm upset or angry, I tend to just tell people straight to their face. Subtly, if it's all possible, uh, I like to think I'm fairly tactful, but I'm also kind of brutally honest at times. And I do try and mediate that a little bit, try and level it out. Uh, and yeah, apart from that, just I tell the people who are hurt or upset or in danger or trouble or ill in my life how much I care about them as often as I can 
and in a way that's not upsetting <laughs> or weird um, as much as possible so that they know where they are with me and that, that, that I'm there for them to help. Oh, that's the best that I can do. That's the best that anybody can do, depending on, on how you are as a person and, and how you best support other people. But yeah, no, I've been in a bad place and I really, really can't thank enough uh, all the guys on the Discord for talking to me. Uh, they've, they've been fantastic. Just having a listening ear and being able to vent is so important. It, for, to me particularly, it, it's so important. It's invaluable. It's a great way of just rationalising everything and, and knowing that people care really helps. So a big thanks again for that. So. We shall leave it there. Poor old Brad. Sounds sick as a dog. He literally got ill just before this started. So that's why he's been absent and why you've had to put up with me. You may see it as a really good benefit, you know. He's shutting up at last. He even said, I can go on about how good it is that he's not talking so much. Now, you see, if he was the editor now, he'd slyly stick in a great big piece of... ripping me for talking too much but hey i've got the reins so he can sod off that's nice isn't it anyway please follow us in the usual locations look at our content on the website and follow that to any extra stuff on twitter and on facebook and on all the other social media platforms support us with patreon if you can afford it and you want to or pay a one-off on coffee if you feel you'd like to And other than that, please do take good care of yourself, stay safe, and stay sane.